lot of your videos because I'm really curious about packaging since you and I met at Wasatch Union Clay and kind of talked a little bit and it uh, really opened my eyes to what packaging is and it's just not something I thought about before. So I'm curious um, if you'd introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about what you do and how did you get into this role that you're currently in? Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, thanks for having a chat about packaging. I love, I love talking about the subject. I'm actually wearing a shirt that's a, it's a Supreme Oreo wrapper that a guy here in Salt Lake City uh, named John uh, uh, JSM 801 Customs made. So he took packaging and put it into a t-shirt. It's pretty cool. Um, so shout out to John. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. So my name's Adam Peak. I live in uh, West Jordan, which everyone tells me is the best Jordan. I don't know. That's just what everyone says about West Jordan. Um, <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, nobody said that except for me. Um, and I'm not from here. I'm from Colorado originally. So um, my wife and I moved here a couple of years, two and a half years ago from Colorado Springs. Um, I am married. I have five kids. I love, uh, you can see I've got a lot of uh, basketball stuff behind me. I love basketball and sneakers and I have a, an eclectic uh, interest in things of life. So uh, I'm an ordained uh, Southern Baptist uh, minister, a pastor at churches, and I work full time in the packaging industry and I have a hip hop song on iTunes. So all of it. Okay. <laughs> all of that is true. All of that is true. And you coach basketball. I do. Yeah, I coach a, an AAU team with Utah Legacy. Uh, and those kids are uh, all like 12 and 13 year olds. And we have a ton of fun. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, I host a podcast called the People of Packaging Podcast with my friend Ted Tate. And we interview people about packaging from all across the world. It's it's weird that it's become this global podcast, but we've had guests from uh, almost every continent now, I think. Um, we're in over 60 countries and it's just been, it's been weird that, I guess it's not weird that this many people are interested in packaging. Packaging is a trillion dollar global industry. Mm -hmm. You know, you really, when you start to think about it and you start to see it, um, so I actually talked about this in my TED talk. So I'll just grab like here. I don't know if these things are. So this is a Verissimo coffee thing. I've got a little coffee maker that sits next to me. So, so this is packaging, right? Like this is mm -hmm. some sort of, I don't know what this is, polypropylene or something. And it's got this film on top, but that's not all like, that's not all. I sound like, uh, Bob Barker. Uh, <laughs> But you know, like this packaging, this packaging had, this was all put into packaging and then this was shipped in bulk. And then all of that packaging, like this film and all of the inks that go into this film, that all had to get packaged up and shipped to somebody so it could be turned into packaging and then all of that. So it's, it's everywhere. It's not just the stuff that you see, it's industrial, it's automotive, it's medical, it's pharma. It's one of the big questions in COVID right now is how do we get a, like this, this vaccine from Pfizer is going to require a pretty significant packaging operation to get global distribution because it has to remain at a certain temperature. So, um, you know, there's, it's an awesome industry. It's massive and 
I just am excited to play like this tiny role in it. I did get, I was a TEDx Salt Lake City uh, speaker this year. So hopefully the full link will come out. It was live in September. Hopefully the full link will come out here in, in a few weeks, but I got to talk about packaging. So I actually, I looked it up to see if it had come out yet yesterday, hoping oh, okay. it was posted, but it still just has your bios on the yeah, yeah, they're they're working hard. It's all volunteers, so they're working hard to try to get it get it all out. Well, and it's yeah. Anyway, so um, talk to me about the COVID packaging. This is something that we talk about often, and you know, and and fixing the plane while it's fly, flying, or really addressing this head on, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I look at packaging really exciting because it's where we can make the biggest impact. In my opinion, it's it's a mass distribution of plastics or papers or recyclables or non-recyclables. And by the way, I found out hemp is recyclable like seven times. Wow. Like seven times. That's, is, and that's because, why, why is that? I wonder, I've never really dug into that. I, it does, do the fibers not, because typically with paper packaging, you know, traditional cellular based, yeah, they, they go in half. And so paper goes, it's got a pretty quick life cycle if it gets recycled all the way through it gets it's not like paper it's not like a uh a corrugated shipping box automatically gets turned back into a corrugated shipping box it can but it just gets it it, it gets less and less impactful and turn it till it turns into just sort of gunk basically like it's not really usable but that's interesting seven times is cool yeah i actually just read it the other day and I was like, I thought about you. <laughs> nice. I know that Hemp's making a, making a big push into, into the paper world. Um, you know, obviously Hemp's been around forever. Um, but I think it's, it's starting to get accepted and used a lot more in, in traditional um, paper mills. Um, I know that I've seen it pop up more and more frequently as an option for like, a, I don't know if I have anything around here. I think it's being oh, like a box, like a box like this, uh, yeah. you know, stuff like that. It's been requested a lot more. You know, yeah. We talk about sustainability and why should people care? And um, I think the younger generation, it's top of mind. You know, they want to know where is it coming from and how is it grown and how, how are things made and how are they being manufactured? Are they recyclable? What is it doing to their planet? Right. Um, where I think it's less of, it was so much less of a topic for so long. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, the, the fascinating thing that COVID has, is kind of done is, so it used to be the only thing people really talked about was sustainability in the packaging industry. Not the only thing, but you know what I mean? It was the top of mind deal. Uh, the UN has a, has a pretty powerful resolution. There's uh, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is driving a lot of change and sustainability. Big brands and big retailers are making big audacious claims of what they're going to do by 2030 and 2050. And so that drove a lot of it. And then COVID hit and it was like, I don't care about sustainability. I need toilet paper. You know, it was just like, get me stuff. I don't care what it's in. So an example was a, a large... Um, one of the largest uh, liquor and spirits companies in the world was pivoted to make hand sanitizer. And even they couldn't get packaging to put hand sanitizer in. So they found a bunch of unused, um, oh, what are they called? Where you, you twist off the thing. Oh my gosh. Um, I know it's in Utah, so maybe I don't know. Maybe people can't just chime in. They're the, uh, crap. 
it's like metal and you put i can't believe i can't remember the name of this thing uh what did you do help me you, you fill it up with whiskey and you take it camping with you um a flask thank you <laughs> i'm from wyoming so i know <laughs> i got it got it yeah well i mean i should know that but yeah so they were using flasks and filling them up with sanitizer and then putting a pump on the top of it to send out. So it, availability became the name of the game, not mm -hmm. sustainability. Mm -hmm. um, but there are going to be repercussions for that, obviously. So single-use plastics became, uh, there was a lot of that. So, but I, but I don't think that that conversation is going away um, because of millennial and Gen Z buyers are they really are putting their money where their mouth is. They're spending more money on products that are actually sustainable and they're not letting people fake it anymore. You can't, you can't greenwash or you can a little bit, but they, the internet is like somebody can just search where your stuff comes from. So they're more aware. I think that they're definitely more aware, right? Yeah, I think there's a huge, there's a huge amount of education that still has to happen and bridge that gap. Right. Um, yep. Who are the big players that are out there that are working to bridge that gap, you know, or that should be, you know, who do you see out there that really should be talking about that can make big impact for hmm. creating uh, more education or smarter choices to be made? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, some of the names I mentioned are, are big players. So you've got like, most people don't realize that... Um, by the way, am I, I'm, I'm like locked up. Am I locked up on your end? I can oh, hear you. Hi. Okay. Can... Uh, most people don't realize that uh, Walmart is a massive player in the sustainability world. And that I think that throws people off because they, they don't think of Walmart as being, you know, either pro, you know, wage increases. Like they don't think of it. You don't typically think of Walmart in line with like more, we'll call them like liberal um policies i guess sure. but walmart is one is on the leading edge of sustainability um they have a they are pressing their brands like if you want to do business with walmart you have to hit pretty aggressive goals which has been cool um That's amazon cool. similarly yeah uh unilever is going to be they announced that they were going to put carbon emissions ratings on seventy thousand products that's wild to think about how hard it is to get that information and then also because they want to measure it and then they want to start to decrease it and they want to apply pressure to other larger brands so that people can now make the, like you could look at the price but then you can look at the carbon impact and go okay it's less of a carbon impact if i buy this razor versus this razor whatever it is um so yeah i mean big I mean, united nations like these are all large organizations and then what's happening is that pressure is is coming down onto brands and onto the packaging companies. So, you know, Fortis is the company that I work for. We are constantly being pushed by our uh, by our customers and by prospects to come out with better, more innovative options. It's it's it, we're not we haven't arrived yet on a lot of things. So, um you know, there's companies like Westrock and Graphic Packaging that are out there and and maybe a little bit more in the in the paper industry that are you know just constantly getting getting pushed so um yeah i mean it's the pressure's there for sure it's not and it's not going to go away um there's nobody that's called me and said you know what i need to be less sustainable 
Our customers are really pushing for us to make things that are worse for the planet. <laughs> that's not a question. So I think that's where hemp comes in, right? I mean, it's, uh, I think as people are start, starting to do more like full life cycle analysis of, of their packaging, you know, it's not enough to just say like, well, what can I claim and put a stamp on something? It's, oh, wait, we have a real crisis on our hands with, with regards to global warming. And so how do we actually make more sustainable packaging? And, and maybe that's the, the, maybe that's an area where, where hemp is really going to start to make a giant impact is by showing verifiable data that says, here's the difference between making a box out of hemp derived paper versus you know, more traditional mill derived paper. This is what the difference is. It's mm -hmm. a 50% reduction in carbon emissions and you know, th those kinds of things. And maybe they're readily available. They probably are. I don't know. This is the global hemp association. So <laughs> I think, well, and I think that that's where it's not, it's not in a unified place where everybody can just know where to go to find it. Right. And so that's kind yeah. of what our goal is to help create that. But uh, what I've learned is there's so much of that that still needs to be looked at and discovered. What I did know when we interviewed the other day, someone in uh, Glenn actually with hemp plastics, um, you know, putting 25% putting uh, hemp into your plastic bottle instead of, you know, compared to even 100% hemp plastic, it now is, you know, reversing the carbon footprint instead of being a a positive carbon footprint it's a negative carbon footprint and so interesting and vice versa so it now makes it you know the, the bottle itself absorbs carbon dioxide instead of emitting. Huh. so he's saying and this would be that would be a fascinating conversation so the, it doesn't, the, change, doesn't change the biodegradable factor right it's still and it's still full of 75 percent fossil fuel or um polyurethane right yeah yeah i mean but that's that's not maybe this is like blasphemy i don't know but to me my like there there are people who are working on circularity and taking something like um you know like right now we can take uh we can take polyethylene mm -hmm. and we can chemically recycle it back to its its properties and then repurpose it into you know, so it's not like plastics are all bad. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's a need for plastics for sure. And there will always be a need for plastics. It's not going to go away. Um, we also aren't all going to die because of landfill usage. Um, so I, I really try to focus in on the carbon. So I'm not as, I'm not as concerned about, because we, we have a lot of landfill space, to be honest with you. And there are people who are working on mining our current landfills in order to create energy um, and create synthetic gas like methane by um, by using gasification on current products that are in landfills. So putting things in a landfills may not end up being the worst thing for us because it, it could become part of the circular economy and using that to gather up um, energy. So that's kind of cool. That's way above my Colorado State education. Um, and I love the Rammies, but I did not study chemical engineering or <laughs> any of that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's fascinating that a 25% by, by creating, by, by using hemp for 25% of the bottle manufacturing, mm -hmm. 
that it it reduces it is uh, well it, I should talk to Glenn because I have a lot of questions. Footprint. It changes its carbon footprint drastically. Um, in fact, I'll have to share the link to the video because yeah. he he quotes you know for every you know one million pounds of plastic what the carbon difference is, or for every one thousand pounds you know Got it. So what it does when you're taking. 100% down to 25% and the amount of carbon, the difference it makes for a very small change. Um, and when you're changing the, you know, when you're taking hemp down to the chemical compound um, to make plastic, you're really just taking it to the same chemical level as a fossil fuel or a poly. Yeah, yeah, because, well, I know that that's happening right now with, um, there's a label material called forest film and it's a polypropylene that's being derived from, uh, what's the, there's a, there's an off, uh, there's something that's created when you, when you pulp paper from cellulose and that was traditionally just waste and they're taking that waste and they can chemically turn that into polypropylene and create a film label out of it, which is pretty cool. Cause so there's no, um, uh, there's no fossil fuels used to manufacture mm -hmm. that label and the carbon impact is big it, are you saying it's similar then with with hemp that we can break hemp down and then reconvert that that's cool yeah it yeah you just break it down to the chemical level the compound and however it's derived from yeah, that's... the waste and it's actually these guys are actually using the waste of all of these you know fields or extraction facilities that oh okay cool we're able to take their there's probably a pretty similar process i'll have to uh, we'll have to connect up i've got some people that would that that manufacture that kind of product and that are doing like the forest film kind of things and see if they have any connections with with him I, I would think that and this is me speculating i don't have any specific data on this at all but i would imagine so when when we leave trees planted in the ground trees are one of the greatest sources of carbon storage that we have, right? So they're, the older a tree gets, traditionally the older a tree gets, the more carbon it can store. Um, and so to, to replace a tree, and, and I would guess that hemp does not carry the same level of carbon storage that a massive redwood tree, say, might have. And, and I don't know if that's true or not, but why I would, maybe like a hemp field, but to be able to continually grow hemp and then use that to replace paper and to leave trees planted in the ground, I would imagine on a life cycle analysis is going to be significantly better for carbon footprint. Is that kind of the, the thesis of a lot of, a lot of hemp um, usage within industrial applications? Yeah. And it's something like four times the pulp per acre. So, so hemp produces four times the pulp. Got it that an acre of trees do in three months compared to 12 to 15 years, plus the carbon footprint that, that it produces per acre is significantly more or equal to. Yeah. Interesting. And so there's a whole, I think it's a whole group, right? Plus our just preserving our trees. Our trees take so long to grow and the carbon. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of, but I was really surprised when I read the other day that the uh, recycle the number of times that it can be recycled or upwards of seven times paper. yeah that's cool and, and is that in a traditional um are there are is there like a hemp recycling facility 
like yeah, there would be like would be like paper it would be recycled similar i, I don't know no yeah because i because because it would probably get mixed in with paper let's say you made a hemp box i don't think yeah. a consumer is going to be like okay i need to put this into my hemp recycling bin it's just going to go to the recycling bin and then right and most of it is blended right it's not like yeah. we're making 100 percent hemp shirts or hemp and cotton or hemp and spandex or hemp and right you know, and there's blends everything's hemp and wool um same with paper and wood there's just a lot of lot of blends um yeah that makes sense happening together right now but i think that the impact alone when we consider carbon has been eye-opening for me yeah yeah i can i can only imagine so when we talk packaging when i said earlier where i think we can really make the biggest impact packaging is where you know like I said, there are so many pieces to everything that's that's packaged. If we're converting and, and considering a more sustainable option, um, that's where I think that I or the Global Hemp Association have a, a place to really make the biggest impact. When you talk about the vaccines, um, what are things that people should consider and how can we collaborate and make change on the packaging for these vaccines? Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, that's, that's a tricky question. Um, so depends on, because, because the vaccines are all going to carry with them some type of, um, you know, R factor when it comes to the insulation, depending on how they have to get shipped. Um, you know, there, there are, I don't, I don't really know that that actually starts to get a little outside of where I work. Um, cause I don't, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a packaging engineer and there are people significantly smarter than I am who are packaging engineers who design this stuff and they'll they'll have to decide between like a a, a polyurethane foam or they there are some uh like I'll give a shout out to uh Daryl Job who was on my podcast he's made he's made a, a fully compostable cooler um the company's called Veracool and they might be able to play a role in in transporting this thing around around the globe and then being able to do something positive at the end of life instead of just a bunch of you know styrofoam coolers basically um and i would i would venture to guess and this would be maybe an interesting conversation with daryl is what role if any could hemp play in the manufacturing of a molded fiber it's what it is it's you've probably seen molded fiber before it's like an eggshell crate mm -hmm. That's what that's molded fiber. Um, so he's just taken that and engineered that in a way that it, he makes it into a like a foam cooler. Um, it's pretty cool, actually. So I look at hemp and our association for a lot of pieces on this distribution. Those little plastic lids that go on top of those vaccine bottles. Yep. The, I mean, that's a point of contact that we can make decomposed, you know, fully biodegradable, um, decompostable plastic interesting so in in like you're thinking even in like the med device space so like injection molded mm -hmm. um things like that you can you can injection mold hemp mm -hmm. that would be news to me so that's cool that, that's probably what oh, the guy plastic anything you can make out of plastic right it's just hemp okay. plastics and and there's so many uses on hemp plastics and i think that there's by half or you know or less uh, that have been discovered or patented, you know, compared to the number that are available out of 
fossil fuels or well, yeah we're just we're just sort of emerging right i mean we're exactly. still emerging with terms of deregulating the industry and i was talking to somebody the other day and they they said uh they have a uh it's a it's a cbd drink and they were like well depending on the state we can't sell it we have to sell it as hemp or we have to sell it as cbd and so the regular like the government regulations still aren't even i'm probably preaching to the choir now but they still haven't even come close to catching up to allowing us to fully even with something like hemp that's you know there it's not a we're not talking about like getting high we're talking about making packaging they're two different, right. two different things and even that is still a, a little a little ambiguous i think so yeah i mean we're still probably scratching the surface and hence my questions of like oh i didn't know you could you could injection molds you know hemp i would be curious though on the term biodegrade to talk with somebody about what does that like what does biodegradation look like um it, the likelihood that it biodegrades in a landfill is probably close to zero just because nothing biodegrades in a landfill um they're sealed tombs basically and rightly so we can't have we we waste so much food that if all of our food is breaking down or releasing methane in the atmosphere we'd be in a lot worse shape so by by nature the landfills are not trying to get, stuff's not trying to get broken down in the landfill so um i'd be yeah. curious i'd love to get you on and actually have a discussion about this with them um because i think that they could ask questions and you can ask questions yeah i can't answer right now for no, you. no no it's fine it's fine i'm not i'm not asking i'm just curious about what the because sometimes in packaging for example Somebody put on their, it was like a, a, a bag like this, this kind of bag, like a stand-up pouch that we've seen. And they said, um, 60, made from 60%, or this bag is 60% compostable and 40% polyethylene. And I was like, what the heck? You can't, nothing is 60% compostable. It's, this is a, this is an either or situation. It either is or it isn't compostable. And what they meant was it's made from 60% paper and 40% plastic, which means it's nothing. It can't be, it can't be composted. It can't be recycled. You need to tell people just throw this in the trash. That's the best thing to do with it. But yeah, so I, so when I see things like, you know, this is, this is biodegradable or this, it's, it, for, it prompts a lot of questions um, because I think sometimes you know, people will say, say words and they're not quite sure what they're, the, the, there, there are, there are like actual like governing agencies that can help us determine whether or not something is or is not, you know, compostable or, uh, you know, marine degradable is another one. Like it'll break down in the ocean, stuff like that. So. Well, and I know that that's something hemp does. Um, at what term or what point I'm not positive. That was something that I was confused about when we discussed with the hemp plastics group because, um, you know, somebody said, well, wait a minute, why would adding 25% hemp plastic make the product biodegradable? It doesn't. What it does is it makes it the carbon footprint drastically. Yeah, you're offsetting, you're offsetting the carbon impact is what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's not in the sense of, I mean, and then being able to move to 100% hemp plastic makes it marine or ocean biodegradable. However, when and how, I'm not the scientist. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. And you don't, you don't really want, that's like worst case scenario in my mind. It's like, 
no, we don't want people dumping plastics into the ocean because it's marine de degradable, right? Like that you still want some kind of, that's where this idea of like a circular economy mm -hmm. comes in that, totally. um, you know, having, having methodology, actually, you know, who's really big into that is, um, Procter and Gamble has a, uh, this big initiative. It's the, it's the Holy Grail 2.0 project. And I mean, because all of this stuff requires consumers, it requires companies, it requires packaging companies, and it requires the infrastructure to do it all. So I can, anybody can really design and put things into packaging that is, you know, recyclable or whatever it is. But if there is no infrastructure to recycle it, or if there's no value at the end of that chain for the recycled product, it will never get recycled. That's why recycling rates are so low in the United States. Um, there's a, a guy, I don't know, how many people are, are, do you know how many people are alive? I'm curious. 10. Sweet. Hi, 10 people. So for yeah. the 10 of you, you should go get this book. I was just talking to somebody about it. The Future of Packaging. It's awesome. Yeah. And this guy, Tom Zaki is great. Um, I just had uh, Lisa Pierce who did a, did a piece in there. I can't remember if I've had anyone else on here. No. I have not, but anyway, they do a great job. And so he, he makes a point in there. He said, you know what the most sustainable, the most sustainable packaging you could ever make. And it's not even close is pure gold. If all of our packaging was made out of pure gold or pure silver, we would never have any waste issues because nobody would throw it away. Would you throw away a box made out of pure gold? Of course you wouldn't because it's worth $10,000. It would also make all of our products unable to be sold because you're not going to buy a deodorant for 12 grand and then and then you know send send in your gold box your deposits you paid on it to keep repurposing deodorant but his point was that you know there he took it to the extreme to say like well we already know the solution to this the problem is the cost model doesn't work so we're we have to come up with these these ways in which we can we can um you know find find good solutions and so that's why I was asking the questions, and I'd love to dig in more about, like, um, you know, what there's there might be a difference between what are the chemical properties of hemp and what is its ultimate use within packaging. It sounds like to me it's really it's it's a, a really high ceiling, like that we can do a lot of really positive things. Um, well, but digging digging into the infrastructure of it is is probably a secondary thing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it comes with, you know, when we talk about the industry and where we're at and how we move it forward, there really has to be a capital injection to the infrastructure to really make it, make the change from one type of plastic to another or paper to another or um, cotton to hemp, you know, or wool mm -hmm. to, to hemp. Um, and so those types of changes, I think, are happening. And I, and I know there's plastics being used, you know, but I know that there are different types of plastic, you know, one, like a mold injection is different than the, the type that's for used for plastic bags. And I just assumed it was all the same and it's not even close. And so yeah, I know. This in packaging, you know, when we talk about making impact um, and knowing, you know, mold injection is there. I'm curious to get these. Um, guys together and actually have a discussion with you about what's out there and what what is already being 
used versus what you see as an actual need to make an impact, knowing that at the packaging level, you have such a an ability to make change in where our waste is going, what type of waste, the impact it has on the earth. Um, you know, what type of packaging could hemp come in and really make that change? And who do we get involved to yeah. put that message out there or get behind it and say, we're going to support this and we're going to put this out there and be that message that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there, there's a couple of things there. One, it kind of took me to, there was a Harvard Business Review done on um, the number one reason for brand loyalty. And, and I'll get to why I'm bringing this up, but it wasn't what we thought about. It was um, uh, customer effort. So think about, um, so think about like, uh, like, you know, fast food, let's just say. Like Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out kill it wherever they go. And they don't necessarily have the best chicken or the best burgers. Um, I like them, but I, you know, it's not like it's the greatest food ever made, but sure. they, like somebody said, uh, I, I saw after the election, it was like, why don't we just get all the Chick-fil-A workers counted votes? This thing would be done in a matter of hours because there's an efficiency to how they operate. But you know, even if there's a long line, I'm still going to be through that drive-through in a, in a short order. So they've reduced customer effort. Uh, they've reduced their menu. You kind of know what you want to get. And so customer effort has been reduced. It's easy to go transact business there. And so brand loyalty is through the roof. Whereas like Cheesecake Factory is not, it's really hard. You've got a, they have a full book. It's a novel for a menu. You don't really know. It's, you know, it takes a while to sit down. Do you want cheesecake or do you want spaghetti? You can get both. So now they're like almost bankrupt because um, customer effort is heavy. Why, I'm, why am I saying that is because I think in order for anybody to really break through, um, the effort of change has to be really low. So meaning, let's say you wanted to, if there was somebody who wanted to pioneer, well, you know, hemp plastics. So you want to make this bag, which is made out of 50% post-consumer waste. You want to make this out of hemp instead of uh, polyethylene or, or um, polyester. So, excuse me. So how do you do that? The answer isn't, well, hey, can you just make this out of hemp? Everyone's going to say no, because it's, it's way too, it's way too much work for a company like uh, somebody who's extruding this. We don't extrude it. We just print it. So for an extruder of plastics to all of a sudden change everything over is really hard. But if there's, but if there is a way, I'm not saying it's impossible because innovation happens and change happens, but if there is a way to make hemp into a polyethylene structure mm -hmm. and it's, and it comes in. It, and so all you've done is just, but you're like, I'm going to sell you polyethylene. This is going to be the cost. Here's, here are all the sustainability benefits. And they go, oh gosh, that's crazy. You're selling polyethylene now. You're not selling hemp. That's a totally different thing. And then when they say, well, why did, why is this cost structure like this? And why? Why is it a 50% less, you know, greenhouse gas emissions? Oh, our feedstock isn't fossil fuels. Our feedstock is hemp. It's like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. 
but they don't have to change their processes. It just runs through their equipment, but they can go sell it at a much better rate. So that's where the rubber is really going to meet the road is messaging it correctly so that if you're going to go sell, if you want to replace a uh, cellulose based um, pulp with hemp based pulp, you're selling pulp, you're not selling hemp. And you're going to people who have pulp problems and the cost of pulp goes up and down and it's all over the place and it's rising, it's falling. And is it good? Well, don't go try to convince them to buy hemp. You want them, you want to go sell them pulp is what you want to sell them. And um, it's, better, it's better pulp. Like why, why is yours better? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're, and so that's, that's exactly where the industry is. And I've heard, I shouldn't say where the industry is. That's where I've heard um, some of these gentlemen where they're at, right? Instead of approaching this as, hey, switch over, you're going to go to 100% hemp plastic. It's that let's start with a small piece. It's compatible. You're you're buying, you're basically buying bulk plastics, right? It's yeah. just a you're selling item. a commodity. You're not selling a, you're not, you're not selling some kind of, because it, while innovation sounds great and sustainability sounds great, change sucks for people. People don't want to change. And so they will change if it's a one-to-one -one commodity ratio. If it's the same thing, but better, then change becomes easy. If it's a different thing, but better, change becomes hard. And that's where that customer effort thing comes in. Um, in terms of organizations, uh, I think that... Um, I mean, in the packaging industry, obviously, um, the the IOPP, which is the Institute of Packaging Professionals, is awesome. Uh, we just had our big trade show, although it was virtually, um, called Pack Expo, and getting involved with with the IOPP. That's maybe the largest organization. Um, the Sustainable Packaging Coalition, the SPC, um, they would be another incredible organization to get involved with. Um, Part of that is uh, they do the how to recycle. So if you've seen, I probably don't have one around me here in my office. There's a little logo that will have the recycling things, but it says, this is what you do with it. Um, and some of them say, don't, it's got my five-year-old calls it a mer. He's like, why does it have a mer through it? Just the, like the mer. That's what he, um, so they'll say, don't, they'll say, don't recycle. Um, and that's great. I actually love it when people say don't recycle on their packaging, as weird as that sounds, because at least, no. at least, you know, yeah, just throw it in your trash. Like that's the best thing. Cause the worst part this, I'm going to get another soapbox here, but I'll come back off it real quick. But the worst part is when we try to recycle things that can't be recycled and know your local recycling laws, like don't put glass in your curbside recycling in Salt Lake County, it won't get recycled. So know your local recycling laws they are not hard to find. But when we put things that can't be recycled into recycling, it's called wish cycling. It creates way more problems, way more problems, because now you like this bag can't be recycled, right? So now for this bag, it goes to recycling, you know, center. Uh, it's called a MRF. MRF. It goes to there. It's going to get sorted. It's going to say, nope, this is trash. It's going to kick it over into the trash, and it's going to end up in the landfill anyways. So now you've used all of this energy creation. You've spent like money has been spent. Potentially, our tax money is being spent in order because you can't figure out that this needs to go in the trash. Put it in the stupid trash. Anyway, um, so the IOPP is great, SPC is great, um, and 
And they have an entry into the IOPP is connected to the World Packaging Organization. And that those are the people who talk with United Nations. They talk with, uh, they're, they're solving big global problems, um, specifically when it comes to waste out of India, China, um, and Indonesia. Those are, are probably our largest uh, problem areas right now. So hopefully that helps. And I can connect you up with any, I know, I know the, uh, ah, maybe not. At, well, I guess I know some people at the SPC as well, but. Um, I, of course, I, of course, would love to get in touch with them. I was just curious as far as what, you know, where is that impact? I look at those vaccines, like the little lids, you know, we're putting hundreds and millions of vaccines out. Um, yeah. I look at the plastic lid. I look at the boxes, you know, I also, I also have a question about um, how much you do in packaging this kind of just popped into my head as I look at these vaccines and tracking where they're being distributed, you know, but also, um, you know, brand, uh, I don't know what word I'm looking for, authentication, um, yeah. where, where they're basically securing, you know, identity of their brand through labeling um, internationally and international trade. Do you do a lot with that? Do you deal with yeah. that? Talk yeah, to me so that's, that. Yeah, that's a, that's a really fun topic to talk about. Um, so there are there is a massive global problem with um, counterfeit products, with um, gray market diverted products, and and what that means what it, what a diverted product is is an authentic product that is sold through a channels that are are improper channels. So you know the easiest example is you've got a cell phone and there's a pallet of cell phones sitting at a distribution center that are supposed to go to Best Buy. Well, instead, somebody takes that pallet, they remove it from the distribution center. They don't sell it to Best Buy. They put them all onto e uh, eBay. And now you're buying cell phones for $500 that you should be buying for $1,000. Um, and the, the weird part about that is that's not illegal. Um, if you are working through a third-party logistics company, it's not illegal for them to sell it. It's I mean, maybe it's a breach of contract and there are legal ramifications, but it's not theft. If you buy the product, if you're, if you're a distribution company and you've acquired, let's say it's a cell phone for $200 and you have to sell it for $600 to Best Buy, who's going to sell it to $1,000 to you or whatever the margins are, you have acquired it legally for $200. If you want to go sell it for $500 on eBay, you can, unless, but, so that's where, that's why it's called the gray market. It's like, Unless you, unless you get caught for being guilty for taking stolen property. Well, that's not stolen at that point in time. You've bought it. So you're, you're out of, it's, you're out of contract. You've, you've, you've breached your contract to be a distributor. I'm not saying it's right. Please don't do it, but it's not, you haven't it's stolen not, it. Stolen, right. stolen property is different from diverted property. Um, and oftentimes the brand is told it is your responsibility to make sure that it gets all the way through the distribution channel. And so this is where things like in the packaging industry, we're, we work a lot with, um, you know, different variable image QR codes that can't be replicated. Um, that's actually been probably the biggest win has been working with, um, with, with some really great companies that are doing uh, QR code verification. So you buy a lot of a million codes and then when it gets scanned, it goes up to the cloud and it will query to say, is this an authentic product or not? Um, 
uh, RFID is a little bit more expensive and a little bit more intrusive into the, when we're talking about customer effort, you've got to do a lot more, but that basically creates a license plate for every single product. And that can be tracked everywhere across the globe. So you can know definitively if that cell phone was sold, was sold at a Best Buy or if it was sold out of the back of someone's truck, you can know that using RFID tracking. Um, so yeah, I mean, and serialization in, in pharma and medical device is mandatory. I mean, you have to have full transparency. You see it in the um, in Colorado, the the cannabis industry. When I was living in Colorado, um, you know they had to have kind of the the seed to um, I don't know. I, I almost said seed to seal. That's I think that's like trademarked by Young Living, but um, you know the idea. You had to track and trace everything um, yeah. so that you could, in case of I, I I don't know. There was a lot of reasons why, but so yeah. I mean that's that's all a part of packaging. It's um, it's all what we do, even like the, uh, um, you know, those freestyle machines, the Coke machines where you go in and you can pick like orange, cherry, vanilla, Fanta Sprite, whatever it is you want to pick. Um, every one of those little cartridges has a way to verify what's being selected. And then Coke gets real live data knowing what, like, how do they regionalize if everybody in Utah was buying orange cherry diet Coke, then they'd no. be like, we should right. Sprite, whatever it is. There's so much soda. I cannot believe when I moved here. I was like, what is the deal with all the soda shops everywhere? It's crazy to me. I know. <laughs> yeah, super crazy. But anyway, yeah. So that's all done with packaging. They just know, they know based on a region, how can they bottle and regionalize sales because of what people are drinking. Interesting. So it's pretty crazy. Fascinating to me. So tell me about, um, I want to talk more, or maybe I'll make some, I want to make some intros for you on this track and trace and the technology yeah. that's come up. Um, how much are you working in the cannabis and hemp industry? Like, do you get, still get a lot of inquiries, especially around the CBD and the distribution there? Obviously, we're packaging, I mean, and I still stand true to, where the opportunity is, is around the fiber and the you know, yep. construction and building and plastics. And um, I also want to make some intros there on, for a couple. One is really passionate about anything that's not plastic. His company is actually not plastic. And then the other one is hemp plastics. Okay. Um, so I'll make intros on. Yeah, I love those. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have... I, I was I was doing a lot of work when I lived in Colorado in retail and medical cannabis. So yeah. uh, when it came to packaging, um, I'll never forget. This was right when medical first hit. So probably would that have been 2009, 2010, sure. maybe in Colorado. Yeah. And I got an inquiry and somebody wanted me to design a 10 pack of like joints for their medical dispensary. And so I drove up there and it was in Denver and I met with them and, and they, this it was crazy, but they said, are you a, are you a patient? And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not a patient. And they asked me, do you want to become one? And I was like, ah, don't, is that how this works? I'm pretty sure they, that's not how this whole thing is supposed to be working. Uh, he, well, then his point was like, his point was like, 
I need to give you 10 of these things to design the packaging for, and I can't do that unless you're a patient. So he wasn't trying to be nefarious, but right. I was like, no, I'm good. I like, you can just measure one and I can do math. I can do two <laughs> times five and I can come up with a box. Um, yeah. So from there, I mean, I did, I've, I've done a lot of work with, with some of the larger brands in the, the retail cannabis space and then also in the CBD space. Um, probably more so now in CBD because it's, it's just grown. I think it's, well, I don't know. I won't pretend to be a legal expert in the, you know, CBD versus, uh, the, the cannabis, the THC world, but I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, there's people who would listen to this and be like, I know everything about this and I don't want to step on your toes, but all I know is that it's complicated, uh, that you're, that especially on the cannabis side, the, the retail cannabis side. Uh, the tax laws are unbelievably stupid. And so because of that, it's, it's really complicated, this emerging, one of the fastest growing emerging areas of our, of our country's economy is that we just can't stay caught up it's from state to state. It's different. You know, you can't ship across state lines when it comes to, uh, the THC stuff. And so how does, how does that work? Like, I didn't understand that. Why can't somebody in California sell to somebody in Oregon when they both have legalized Maybe. cannabis, but you can't, it's a, it's a federal crime. I'm like, this is nuts to me. It's just so crazy. Yeah. So well, I, I also want to make an intro to TrueTag, which is a technology, also a member of the association that's, uh, um, microscopic piece of silica that's printed basically. Um, and creates an invisible um, uh, label that's, hmm. you know, scannable with your cell phone. And so okay. it can be tracked to where it's going, authenticate it. It can go um, on the actual cannabis. It can be on the label. It can be um, oh, in wow. a on a cart. Um, but then multiple pieces of it can be tracked and traced and then tagged and identified just by scanning your cell phone. So when you say making it, you know, consumer, uh, reducing the amount of effort that needs to be put in for the consumer, um, I look at that because anytime somebody says, I have this great new software, I'm like, great. How do we get the people to use the software? Right. Everybody has a cell phone. Everybody yeah. has access to read, read a device that way. Right. And it's so much, it's just with your cell phone and the more advanced our, our cameras become, the more colors it picks up, the more, more labels or tags. And so. And on that point though, that's interesting because, um, so if you take like QR codes, QR codes did not have a ton of traction until when we talk about customer effort until Apple said, well, you don't have to have an app anymore. Just use your phone. Once yeah. that happened, QR codes blew up because, and think about how stupid that is. Like you just had have a QR code app on your phone. Like it's not that difficult to put one on there but nobody did it. And so there were just these sort of ugly things. And when that happened, it exploded. Uh, NFC, which is like the, the payment tags, near field communication. Yep. Um, you know, that, that got a lot more traction when Apple opened up their, their readers on their phones to do it. So, um, you know, you can put NFC into packaging, you can do all sorts of fun stuff. So we do a lot with augmented reality. Um, in, in printing and packaging. So there's some cool stuff that's out there for sure. Very cool. Augmented yeah. reality. I always talk about, I want to do t-shirts. We've been talking about making some t-shirts with an augmented reality, you know, design that kind of explains either 
how your shirt was made or um, you know, gives gives a story to whatever your package is or whatever it is that you're selling. That's yeah, that the art that goes into it and the um, the time. Now it's time for innovation, right? People aren't buying a T-shirt; they want to know where their shirt came from and the story behind it. And or they, they want to buy it with packaging. I can't. Let me see over here. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. I mean, I would have. It's another Supreme shirt until you told me about it and that it you know has roots back to you what's cool is it's an actual so it's it is a supreme shirt so he bought this is like a supreme hanes shirt and then he bought the supreme oreo wrappers and then spent hours trying to figure out how do i take or he bought the spring oreos but he was like i should be able to take this plastic and make it machine washable in a cotton thing so he's a genius like he does all like the custom shoes does custom shoes for the jazz and a bunch of other players so so cool yeah I, I would love to see it. Yeah. So when you say this, right, we talk about the change that Apple made for putting the QR code onto the phone. That's the type of influence um, the association mm -hmm. is looking for or I'm looking for to really move this message along, right? Uh, when we talk about it, it's going to take one company like Patagonia delivering the message about, you know, hemp in their clothing and Levi's or you know, it's going to take a large car company to say, hey, we're making a, a full hemp. Lotus has a hemp car, right? And Do and they? So, yeah. Lotus has a hemp car? Uh -huh. And BMW is using it, in, I think Mercedes too, but using it in their car panels. Oh, wow. That's yeah. cool. So it's being used everywhere. Um, it's just a matter of really going to come come on and somebody to say, hey, we're going to we're going to really move this and use our brand to make it mainstream, to make this normal and make it known. Um, so yeah, I'd be interested. I'd like to interview more people that can really move this along. Um, yeah. Grow, grow the broadcast and then grow the association, Adam. So as you, as you kind of come across people, um, I'd love to collaborate and share and really on, on twofold, because I think packaging is where, hemp can make a huge impact on changing and saving the the uh, crap that's going because as much as the landfills like you said aren't going away and they're designed well it's everything that doesn't make it to the landfill that's a problem yeah yeah you know? for sure well and we, we have we're actually putting less stuff into landfills we 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 do we do a pretty decent job at recycling even though our recycling rates are low but relative to our population growth when you look at that number we're okay we're not great but we're okay but the problem is that we're reaching this precipice of, of global warming that we have to, you know, when we talk about flattening the curve with COVID and these sorts of things, like we have to flatten that curve. It cannot keep going up. We, we want, this is a crazy stat. And I don't know if we have much more time left, but in, in 1800, there was about a billion people in the, on the globe. And then from 1800 to 1900, it went up to like, 1.5 or 1. I think it was 1.6 billion. So in 100 years, we added about 600 million people. From 1900 to the year 2000, that went from like 1.6 to like 6 billion people. So we increased our population by an insane amount, and we're we're expected to be at 10 billion by like 2050, I think. So we're gonna go in in 150 years from 1.5 to 10 billion people, whereas before that it would, it, so we just have this insane population growth. Correct. And so when people talk about like, 
well, how is, how is man-made climate change a real thing? It's like, you just follow the numbers. We just have more people doing more things with more stuff and that's what's causing problems. And so we have to figure out ways to curb that. And so if hemp is a, is, is a big part of that solution, then we should all be on board with it. You know what I'm saying? Well, and I don't think that it's if, it is. I just think yeah. it's a matter of we have to bring the influence and the capital injection to make it mainstreamed, right? And I think that there's this big difference in uh, these younger generations are willing to pay more. Like you said, they're putting their money where their mouth is. They're willing to pay more, but not 100% more. It no. has to be still competitive in cost, right? And we've got to be able to fix our supply chains to bring them into the u.s and localize some of this yeah. um, and it goes there's so many pieces so again i go back to um i want i want to interview more people i want to grow this broadcast platform and utilize these um and same with yours your your packaging i am packaging or people's packaging because people I think packaging, that, yeah. yeah this is really where um, we make influence and where we're able to make a big change is through our broadcast and the education piece is the work so that we can flatten that. Yeah. Curve. No, so, yeah. totally. I totally agree. Well, yeah, we'll, uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll keep, uh, exchanging contact information, but, um, yeah. and, yeah. you know, sharing networking and it's what you do best. <laughs> well, thanks. It's true. Yeah. It's what I enjoy. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love connecting. I love connecting people. I love talking about it. Um, I've really, I've really gotten into when I, when I get people in a room, just picking out, you know, Hey, we have this opportunity here. Let's start talking about this um, yeah. and now broadcasting it. So anyways, thank That's you very awesome. much for joining yeah. me. Really appreciate you. I've enjoyed having you on. Um, and I'd love to make connections and see if we can't move things along for, um, you know, really bringing hemp plastics and more hemp paper into and, you know, when you were talking earlier, there's different types of people, the people that are um, making the hemp, you know, like you guys that are selling the different types of packaging, um, mm -hmm. you know, so, so you're selling to somebody that says, hey, I want a plastic bag, and you say, hey, here's a list of plastic bags that would work, versus um, I'm looking for the person or our hemp plastics or, or um hemp papers are looking for the people that are actually manufacturing those bags right Correct. yeah yeah you want to you want to find people who have plastics problems um and paper problems that spend money on that stuff um because if if i think if the if the influence if you try to start with just people in general that's a hard ship to move um yeah. but yeah. but yeah i mean i i there are plenty of companies out there you know Look at like Dow Chemical. Like, mm -hmm. why isn't Dow Chemical buying buying um, hemp derived chemicals and then converting those in and selling those to their customers? You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I think that there are there are companies that have those. I think it's a matter of the distribution channels to get them into. Yeah, true. You know what true. I mean? and figuring out where those are, where those are. Anyway, we're, our time is up. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Mandy. It was great. Okay, have a wonderful day, and we'll talk soon. All right, bye. See you later.